0: And Lord willing, for this class, we're going to continue our series on discipleship by looking at the role of the husband, finishing that today. And Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we're going to talk about um, raising children and discipleship, how those things work together. As always, it's important that you just don't, oh, I'm not a man, I'm not a husband, I'm not this or that. It's important that you don't think that way as far as shutting your ears to what we're going to we talking about it because we're all called to disciple one another. And uh, regardless of our being in the particular group that we're talking about, this is also applicable uh, to you because all scriptures are inspired by God and are profitable for rebuke, for correction, uh, so that we all can be built into the full man of God, a full person of God. So it's important that we um, keep that in mind. We're eventually going to get to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So, if you have a Bible, that's where you should be opening it to, uh, so that we can uh, talk about the husband and the role of the husband as a discipler. Uh, Lord willing, finishing it today. Uh, one of the things that that we have to be very clear in our heads that discipleship in the nuclear family starts with the husband. That's where it starts. Uh, He is the one who is singled out to be an example of Christ. Now, every Christian is supposed to be an example of Christ, but the Scriptures directly say to the husband, you are, are commissioned, are given the duty and the privilege of being an example of Christ in your family. No other member of the family is given that commission directly. It's implied in the Scriptures. So it's important that we consider that. So today we're going to be considering how the husband is to love his wife as a, ma- a means to disciple her. And loving his wife is the primary way in which the husband disciples his wife. And the pattern, as we see in the past, of the, the, or the example of the husband's love for his wife is Christ's love for his church. As we saw, well, four weeks ago now, when we pulled out uh, the husband and wife out of the passage, just look at Christ and the church to set up the pattern that we're going to use uh, for the husband and for the wife. All right, so, these are the things that we're going to be looking at today. Seven ways in which the husband is to love his wife as he seeks to disciple her. Uh, the love is supposed to be unconditional, sacrificial, with a pure, uh, that love must be purifying, He used to love the wife, and he loves himself, and his love nourishes, cherishes, and leads. So that's the outline for this morning. Anticipate us finishing a little earlier, and if that's the case, then uh, there's a couple things from last week's lesson that I'll address today, but it's never safe to assume that we're going to end early. All right. The the wife, the husband, is to love his wife unconditionally. In verse 25 of Ephesians 5, the apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now the world has cheapened the meaning of love, so we need to be reminded what the true meaning is. Love has become just welcome whatever. Love has actually become nothing, right? Because you have to love everything. And when everything is the object of your love, nothing is the object of your love. With love is so broad and without any definition, then love becomes nothing. But the scriptures are very clear of what love is. We could uh, go to passages like the one that's on the screen, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, spilling a little bit into verse 8, where uh, the Holy Spirit clearly defines what love is. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you notice who is missing in that passage? Who's missing in this definition of love? The one being loved. The one loving. Everything is directed to the other. Self is the one that's not uh, present there. So uh, there's this, this idea in the Bible's definition of love that is based, is focused on the one being loved, not on the one loving. The idea of our love for our wives being unconditional has to do with the idea that our love doesn't, for them does not depend upon their worthiness. Love in the Scriptures does not depend on the worthiness of the one being loved, of the beloved. Is that, do you agree with that? Yes? No? Maybe? I don't care? I mean, these are... Oh, the categories, yes. And we know that specifically from, from Ephesians 5 because here the pattern is Christ's love. And Christ's love for His church were not, was not determined by the worthiness of the people. It wasn't that we were so worthy that then Christ loved us. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the opposite. For example, in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, it says this, God demonstrated His own love toward us In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's while we were still unworthy. In verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we are reconciled to God. So see, it's not that Christ saw a bunch of worthy people that he decided to give himself. It was because there was a bunch of unworthy people that he decided to, uh, to give himself. So there's this unconditional nature. So... What's the application that for a husband as he loves his wife and seeks to disciple his wife? Well, one of them is this that the husband is to seek the good of his wife whether she deserves it or not. His role is independent of whatever his wife does. Christ like love is not merely a feeling or a passion, it is a commitment. That's why most marriages should not have prenuptial agreements. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand why I'm saying this? That most marriages should not have a prenuptial agreement? What does a prenuptial agreement assumes? That's going to end. You're already making provision for that. But loving the Scriptures is a commitment. When you say, I do, you are saying I'm not going to break this thing. The marriage always ends as a result of sin. Period, unless it's, somebody dies. Right? But otherwise, it's a result of sin. So um, we, we shouldn't make provision for that. Now, can you think of any situation where up a up for agreement might be um, good or wise to have? Yes? Maybe in the case of a, of a later marriage where there were children involved in the estate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's really the only situation I can think of is in a, a marriage where there's adult children, and to avoid to to avoid uh, infighting among the children, to just put their conscience at rest that the, that, that they're taken care of that that is. There. Otherwise, I don't. There's no need for a, a prenuptial agreement. And as this, when we think of this idea of unconditional love from, from the husband's part, it is important also that we understand that the husband is to be the initiator in love. Versus, again, Christ's initiator. Right? First John 5.19, 4.19, we love because he first loved us. That's the role that, of the husband. So the husband is not just responding to the wife's, uh, to the wife's love for him. He's initiating um, that love. This idea this, the, the, that, oh, is is not mainly to be a loving person is not in the scriptures. The, the, the idea of masculinity in the Bible is the idea of one who initiates uh, love toward the other. Any question of that? On the love the love of the husband being not conditioned on who the wife is. Okay, the second thing we're going to see here is that not only is the love of the husband to be unconditional, it's supposed to be sacrificial. We see that in verse 25 as well, when Paul describes, equates love, Christ, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The word and there is an equal sign saying that love and giving are the same thing. They're, they're, they're synonymous in this context. And we know that Christ's love is demonstrated on the cross. In chapter 5, verse 2, Paul already told us that, that he loved us by going to the cross. So there's this idea of sacrifice in love. Love is also always costly. Love always costs something to the one loving. That's the pattern that we find in, in the scriptures. So there's this idea of sacrifice. And notice that when we think of sacrifice, as Christ is a pattern for our love for our wives, we also see that in this idea of sacrifice, we have the idea of particularity. It's a particular sacrifice. He loves a particular wife in a particular way. Remember what Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. It's not some other sheep out there. It's my sheep. It's a particular Sacrifice, so God calls the husband to give up his life for his bride because that's what Christ did. And I want you to notice that He doesn't say, Be willing to give up your life, He says, Give up your life. There's a difference. Do you notice the difference between those two statements? Be willing to give up your life, give up your life. What's the difference, Scott? That's the question on the table. Yeah. <laughs> so the question is, what's it look like to. No, what's, the, up, what, up your yeah, what's the difference between this statement, be willing to give up your life, and give up your life? Actually doing it. Yes, so be willing if you haven't done it. Yeah, I'm willing to do it, but where is the proof? It's in the pudding, right? Whatever that means. <laughs> the proof is in the doing, so it's actually a call to give up. Not to be willing to, if the opportunity comes, but to be selfless there. What, are, what does it mean to give up one's life? Any ideas on that? Put the other person first. Put the other person first, all right. What else? Surrender your own desires. Surrender your desires, all right, Andrew. Yeah, so decide your own progress, your own interests, uh, yeah, your own desires for the sake of the other. All right. Yes. What else? Anything else we can think of uh, Of when we're thinking of giving up your life? This is an important way of thinking because the husband is called to do that, but we also are, each of us is called to do that for each other in the body of Christ, right? So giving up one lies means to sacrifice in your rights, sacrifice your interests for her, for her good. Uh, we, we tend not to think of other passages that are not directly about marriage in their application to marriage, but Philippians, 4, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 is about marriage because it's about relationships. And there Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the idea of sacrificing your rights, sacrificing your interests for the good of your wife, the good of others. We, as husbands, were given authority. and We are to exercise as authority. But authority has been given to us in order for us to serve. Remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said in Mark 10, 45? I do not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And this is the guy that says, all authority in heaven and earth is to be given to me. And that authority is given to, for him to serve. Any questions on this idea that the love of the husband for the wife must be sacrificial? All right, thirdly, the husband is to love his wife with a purifying love. In verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says that, he's talking about Christ, but it's, that's the example he gives to us, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without Blamish. So the love of the husband is to be a purifying love. Christ, our bridegroom, is committed to making us holy. That He's committed to that. Titus 2, we're start in verse 11, talks about the grace of God appearing to all people, teaching us to live a godly life. And the result of that grace, the result of the work of the Spirit, the work of Christ in our hearts, is that what verse 14 says, who, that is Christ, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed in purifying for himself his own special people zealous for good works. So we as husbands are instruments of God in helping our wives become that. Because that's that's what God in Christ is doing. Guys, our wives are to, we're to love them in such a way that they are more beautiful spiritually as a result of our love for them. We're we are to sp- beautify our wives spiritually through our love that we have for them. So if we're not, if, we, if we're actually dragging our wives down spiritually, if we're not leading spiritually, if we're not driving them to Christ by His grace, we're actually saying a lie about Christ. We're saying that's what Christ does for the church. And that's very shameful that we would say a lie or preach a lie by the way that we live in our lives. So our love for our wives, our wife should make her more beautiful spiritually. So that's number three. We love our wives with a purifying love. Any questions on that? And I hope you can see the implication to discipleship, right? Because discipleship is helping someone become more like Jesus Christ, in the context of the covenant community. So I hope you can see how this is all about, really, discipleship in the marriage. Any questions or thoughts about this? All right, thirdly, fourthly, Paul says that we're to love our wives as we love ourselves. So verse 28, of Ephesians 5, he says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So you love her because you are united to her. That's what Genesis 2.24 says. Right? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. She's not like a part of you. She is part of you. Paul assumes that every man loves himself unconditionally. And it is unnatural to abuse one's own body. In verse 29. In my... Years of ministry i 've dealt with both uh, men and women who 've cut themselves literally with a, with a sharp object cut themselves, and even the person cutting recognizes that that 's not normal that 's unnatural because we naturally love our own bodies we love our ourselves and that 's that's the, the, uh, the, the, the the thing that paul 's drawing drawing on that we all know that we normally are out for our own interest, for our best interest. And Paul says, well, when you're not in that way towards your wife, you're like that person was cutting, damaging his or her body because you are so united with your wife that as she suffers, you suffer. As you damage her, you are uh, being damaged. So in some way, uh, Paul is saying at least see how this, is, how this is, serves you. At uh, the, the, the very least, if you can't be self-sacrificial, at the very least, see that there's an interest for you in uh, loving your wife as you love yourself. Any comments or questions on, on this, on number four? Right. Number five, Paul says that we are to love our wives by nourishing her. In verse 29, he says... For one, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Brothers, uh, Christ has provided richly for us. He doesn't hold anything back. He's given us everything. Look what Peter says. Peter says in First Peter two verses one through five. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit. Hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, and then he goes on to talk about how God has provided in Christ everything from the foundation up to cause us to grow and he mixed several images of a building of priesthoods and to see to show how God has richly provided for us. We can never say oh, I, I can't do that because God really didn't provide the strength or the grace or whatever it is that I need for that because he has richly provided for her, for us. So we are to do the same for our wives. We are to love them by nourishing them. To nourish is to provide food so that they can grow. And here is obviously in the spiritual sense. But the scripture says that part of the way the, love, the husband loved his wife is to provide for her materially. In First Timothy um, five, eight, Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's serious, isn't it? A husband who refuses to provide for his family is going to hell. That 's what this verse says isn't it that 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 's what it means to be worse than an unbeliever you're going to be in a hotter space in hell as it were than somebody who never proclaimed faith in Christ so part of nourishing the wife is providing you know materially also providing for um, other needs emotional needs if they are biblical uh, Peter tells us in 1 peter three seven husbands likewise dwell with them in understanding with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs uh, together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. We have to understand our wives. Do you understand your wife? do you know what makes her tick? Do you know her? Do you know how to bless her? Do you know the things that she enjoys do, those are all part of nourishing, uh, nourishing her. We're already seeing the part of nourishing her is also providing for her spiritual needs. A little bit, uh, a little, uh, a little bit. Also, nourishing her means providing for her sexual needs as part of being a godly husband as well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 3 through 5, let the husband render to his wife the affection to her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. It's important to realize that Paul is answering a specific question here. And the question is, should married people have sex? And he says, yes. And the husband needs to be very intentional how that is done. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This last clause we forget, I think, often as husbands. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves for fast, to fasting and prayer, and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Do you see the spiritual nature of a, the sexual union? There, there is a, um, a, it was one way that God has given us, among many things, to prevent the attacks of Satan. And the husband need to nourish his wife in that way. Any questions on this? On this, uh, that we have to love our wives by nourishing them. Nick. So when you talked about a husband uh, providing for the wife materially, mm-hmm. you said a person who refuses to... Commit. Correct. So you're not talking about someone who gets disabled or something and literally can't... Correct. Okay. Yes. Or somebody who's unemployed... And he's looking like crazy for unemployment. Is pay, no, he's making his full time job looking for a job. That's not, First Timothy 5 8 doesn't apply to that. It's someone who just, nah. And he, they even say that he's trying, but if there's no evidence, you know, it, it is in the doing that we find the evidence. Any other, any other questions or comments on this idea of, of loving by nourishing? All right, so we're also called to love our wives by cherishing her. Verse 29, Paul says that as well. So, brothers, we are to treasure our wife as the most precious treasure in the universe. We are to take time to understand her and give her honor. We saw that already in 1 Peter 3, 7. That's part of cherishing her, is actually knowing who she is. We have to be patient and gentle with her. We see that in Colossians 3.9, where we call not to be bitter towards them. We have to treat her with respect. That's part of cherishing her. In Proverbs 31.11, is about the woman, but there's this comment about the husband. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. There is this honor that goes from the husband to the wife that needs to be there as part of cherishing her. We have to express appreciation and affection to her again. In Proverbs 31, verse 28, again, about the woman, but he is the husband. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. If, he, we, if we were to ask your wife, when was the last? What was the last praise that you gave her? And the answer is: I remember in the summer of 1992. <laughs> there's a problem with that. The answer has to be: He praises me so often with such care and love that I just—I—I I, I, honestly I, I can't really list them. There's too many to remember. That—that that is how we should should look at. Any questions or comments on this idea that uh, we as husbands, as we disciple our wives, we are to love them uh, by cherishing them? All right. In number seven, we are to love them by leading them. In verses 23 and 24, Paul says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In the command to submit is implied the command to lead. The husband is to lead. Lead in the word. Leading in the word requires person, uh, 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 requires personal time in the word. So you men, young and old, whatever you are, if you are not... Involved in the word, you cannot lead in the word. You can't always be delegating that leading to someone else. You must lead in the word. You are the one that at home, takes initiative to have devotions. You're the one that says, "Okay, we're going to read the Bible now." And we read the Bible. And you're the one that, if there are questions, you're going to say, "This is the answer," or, "I'm not sure." But I'll get back to you on, on that as well. So leading the word requires a grasp of the word. So no man, no matter who you are, if you're a Christian, you can just say, you know what? I'm not really a student of the Bible. To say that is to say that you're not a Christian. Okay? Uh, leading the word requires a plan for growth. Where's your family going? as far as Christ is concerned. Leading the Word requires patient instruction in that Word. But we're not so only as often supposed to lead in the Word, but we're also supposed to lead in righteousness. In verse 27, Paul says, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. How do we do that? How, do we, how are we Christ our wives in that way? By leading in righteousness, by being godly husbands, by growing in holiness. We're to lead in selflessness. See so that in verses 28 through 30. We're to lead in intimacy. In verse 31, um, Paul says that, uh, quotes uh, Genesis and says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and her mother and be joined to his wife, and they two, the two shall become one flesh. And that involves intimacy. We're to lead in decision Making whatever you want, dear, is not necessarily leading in decision making. And leading in decision making might actually uh, require you to make decisions that are contrary to what your wife wants. That's part of also leading in love. And as a husband is the head of the wife, the husband is at least four things he's a provider. Remember 1 Timothy 5.8. Worse than an unbeliever. So he's a provider. He's also a prophet. What does that mean? What was the job of the prophet? Preaching the word of the Lord. The people with a specific purpose. If you read all the prophets in the Old Testament, none of them come to Israel in the time of great prosperity and everything's hunky-dory and they come in order to praise them, right? The prophet is always calling God's people back to God's word and to God himself. So we are prophets as husbands as we proclaim the word, bring God to our, to our families, to our wives. Does it make sense? Scott Griffiths. Oh, you nailed it. Okay. Okay, so we're just going to stop here. Since I nailed it, we're just going to call it good, drop the mic. And, no, uh, uh, So he's a provider, he's a prophet, he brings God's word to the wife. He's also a priest. What was the main job of the priest in the Old Testament? To intercede for the people. The main job of the priest was to bring the people to God. The prophet brought God to the people The priest brought people to God through several sacrifices and offerings and and so on. So the husband brings the wife to God. How does he do that? What's the primary means that a husband today brings his wife to God? Prayer. Prayer. We are to be on our knees for our wives, for our families, and so on. And then the husband is a protector as well. The husband is to be the protector of the family. We are in a, in a culture that uh, masculinity is always called toxic, right? Being a biblical man is supposed to be poisonous. And yet we are called to be men. Not a hard concept, is it? Men are called to be men. And part of that is being the protector of the home. You are the one who dwells with your wife as a weaker vessel, not because she's less than you, but because she's designed to do something else. You're the one designed to take a bullet. You're the one designed to take a bat to a thief that breaks into your house. You're the the one to be the protector, but the protector goes beyond the physical protection. You're going to protect her from heresies, false teachings. You're going to protect her from the world. You're going to protect her from Satan as well. So that's that's who you are as a husband. That's how you disciple her as her, um, as her husband. Any questions on this last one, that you love your wife and you Sabbath by leading her? Andrew. Seems like there's uh, two ditches uh, that, are that men face in trying to lead and love their wives. One is, in an effort to be compassionate and understanding, doing whatever the wife asks, doing whatever the wife wants, and missing this, more prophetic aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who maybe even in reaction to that become a little bit too prophetic, mm-hmm. a little bit too too firm in their own convict- convictions, missing the For every devotion they put on the camel's hair. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a tough tough thing. I don't know if there's any answers, but do you have any particular scripture to like meditate on or any thoughts in guys who are trying to find that balance between them? I think so. I think if you well the, the life of Christ behind one scripture, if I can say. So if you think about Christ, how he dealt with people, I think, looking at what you've been doing Sunday afternoons when you speak, how he deals with individuals, and how he changes how he deals with individuals, uh, it, the, the, depending on the context. And as we look at that through the lens of Matthew 11, 28-30, as uh, Christ as being gentle, and lowly in heart, and inviting those around him to unburden themselves on him. And, and he does that as the one who, just a couple chapters later, is going to say, all authorities be given to me in heaven and on earth. I think that passage, and as we look at the ministry of Christ through that passage, I think will help us as husbands to stay on the road instead of falling on this ditch and then on this ditch. Does it make sense? Anything, any, any other questions or comments? So above all, as husbands, we have to love our wives by being a follower of Christ. Right? At the end of the day, that's what's going to mean. We're going to fo- do, um, love our wives by being followers of Christ. And we saw that last week, 1 John 5, 2. You cannot love the brethren if you don't obey God. Positively, John says that you love the brethren by obeying God's commands. So we can't really love our wives by not if we're not following Christ ourselves. And I think the one thing I want to emphasize as husbands in following Christ is to live a life of repentance. We're going to mess up so many times. I mean, we are in the in in the phase of our lives where we're doing a lot of looking back with all the kids leaving the home, uh, getting married, and I just find myself I feel I feel so sorry for Teeny often the firstborn, the guinea pig. <laughs> so many times, I said, oh, Lord, you know, the, the, the things we messed up. And, I mean, but we didn't just mess up with her. We messed up with Grace and with Alex and with Isaac. And there could be all kinds of accounts. And it's easy to get paralyzed by all our failures. And that's the beauty of repentance. We repent, go in the right direction, and we lead our wives. And that's what we're called to do. This is a tall order to lead our, to be Christ to our wives, but it is what God wants husbands to do. It is not easy because our natural inclination is to be selfish. God will give us the grace to love our wife if this is what, what we're going to do. If we rely on Him for all that we need to do, He will give us the grace. Remember that Christ died and came back to life to give us all the grace to follow Him. The grace is there. We don't have to wonder about it. Christ is risen. So now we just have to avail ourselves of that grace that teaches us to live a Godly life that includes loving our wife. Let me recommend three books. I meant to grab it from my library, but I forgot. So I'll just say the names, okay? The first one is called The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. Recommend... But only read it if you want to be convicted. If you don't want to be convicted, don't read it. Right? That's the first one. The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. The second one is When Sinners Say I Do by Dave Harvey. Uh, and, uh, but if, and if you're really brave, you can read the, the follow-up on that where he wrote 20 years after called I Still Do. Uh, those are very good books. And then uh, the third one is What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp? Uh, These are very helpful books as as you as husbands want to lead your wife and be Christ to them in the discipling process. Any questions?